A recent clinical review on the BMJ.com discussed caring for sex workers, and there's a podcast with author Michael Reckart, links from the podcast page. In this podcast, we're discussing some of the problems that sex workers have with obtaining care. I'm Sophie Cook, Clinical Reviews Editor, and to try and get an insight into the varied aspects of sex worker health, the BMJ talked to staff from Open Doors. Run out of Homerton University Hospital NHS Foundation Trust, Open Doors is an integrated service for sex workers in East London. The work that Open Doors do is highly integrated. They help women with their sexual health, but also with their antenatal health, help them register with the GP, interact with social services, shepherding them through complex systems. They work with both street and off-street workers through an outreach initiative. The first person I talked to at Open Doors was Kim Leverett, who's an outreach development nurse working with the service. Can you describe a bit about how that support for the different types of sex workers is is different how how is it different supporting a street sex worker compared to uh, a, a, a sex worker who works in a private area so the, the street sex workers are often um, street homeless or living in hostels and um, they need a different level of support um, we would case manage them so we would go with them to uh, appointments for example like gps or sexual health and um, we would uh, meet them on the, uh, the streets when we do outreach and um, tell them a little bit about how we can support them, um, knowing that actually sexual health may well be very low on their agenda. So they might have issues around housing and drugs that um, need to be addressed before any other health problems can be addressed. Uh, the street sex workers also have uh, complex health issues, mental health um, issues and lots of other health issues. Uh, so on the, on the streets when we're doing outreach, it's really a case of making contact with them and inviting them into one of our services where we can start to do some more work together. Uh, the off-street um, team work in quite a different way. They, we go and visit women in their uh, working place, um, so that may well be um, a brothel or a massage parlour, or we're happy to visit people that are working from home or hotels. And uh, we can provide sexual health checkups um, actually in their place of work, as well as providing them information about our designated sexual health clinics in East London. Some people decide to have um, sexual health checkups while we're on outreach, and some people prefer to come to our clinics. But for the uh, off-street um, clients, we would expect them to more often than not be able to access our clinics independently, so we don't case manage in the same way. Um, and there's less issues around um, drugs and um, homelessness around uh, with this group as well so it's, it's quite a different group. Can you tell me a little bit about feedback that you've had from service users who might try to have accessed healthcare through other avenues? Yeah so I think if I can talk a little bit about some of the street sex workers to start with who may have um, attended A&E um, so they may have had difficulties in the past and previous bad experiences, feeling judged and particular issues around waiting difficulties if they're withdrawing from drugs, they're feeling very anxious 
um, and that sometimes can um, uh, play out as uh, quite disruptive um, behaviour in waiting rooms due to intoxication and um, subsequently um, people, our clients can't necessarily stay to uh, be seen by the um, healthcare professional. Um, so it's really important that staff have um, a very uh, positive, non-judgmental attitude and they're aware of the issues that street sex workers might have when they attend A&E. And it might be something really simple that they can provide them with a place to lay down that's quiet, away from other people waiting, and provide them with um, a coffee and something to eat, um, and a bit more explanation about the waiting times uh, so that they don't disappear out before they're seen. The other issue to think about is that um, it's not unusual for um, individuals to be um, selling drugs outside A&E, dealers hang around A&E. So that's just something that I think is important that healthcare professionals realise. Um, the, the women may well want some clean clothes as well um, because that, that may well make them feel uncomfortable about staying if they're going to be examined by um, a doctor. And often very afraid to take tests and to get results. And for um, uh, healthcare professionals, not not to take on board that real fear about having a test and getting results. Uh, the the other issue may well be about not not understanding what tests are are being taken or would like to be taken, and how to 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 follow up and give results. So it's really important to, at this early stage, involve um, mental health team. Um, maybe it might be a sex worker service and if it's actually uh, a daytime visit it might be that someone from the sex worker service can actually come and support that that client while they're in A&E um, because that we always find that works much better if we actually support individuals when they attend A&E rather than leaving them on their own. So that's applicable to hospital care but what about GPs? Some of the issues around GPs is actually how difficult it is to access a GP and that, that may well be that people sometimes then attend A&E um, inappropriately because they, they can't access their GP service so they're told they have to ring at 8 in the morning and actually that's not a good time, they may well have been at work all night and um, that's the time they're going to bed, they might not have any uh, money on a mobile phone to ring, the phone's engaged and it's just very easy to give up straight away. Um, so the actual access can be really, really difficult to GP services. That difficulty was reiterated by Anka Doxy, an outreach development practitioner from Open Doors. She works specifically with Romanian women who make up a large proportion of Open Doors' client base and it's their living arrangements which make GP access difficult. Some of my difficulties when registering um open door um, uh, migrant patients to GPs is related to um, not being able to prove um, to prove the address to have a proof of address because what they are doing now from 2014 most of the GPs are requesting uh, bank statements as proof of address or bills so most of these women uh, do not have uh, a bank card or 
um, they don't pay bills um, on there are no bills on their names in the accommodations they have and usually they they sub rent from people um, who do not provide uh, a formal agreement um, for the renting of that place so they can't really prove uh, their accommodation so in our um, off-street um, clients that we see we we probably have um, at least 85% are migrant workers and in East London our largest um, number is from Romania and then our, our second um, largest group um, are Brazilian women and then we have a lot of other um, women from Eastern, other Eastern Europe, European countries and another sort of sprinkling of other nationalities but by far the biggest groups are Romanian and Brazilian and because of uh, the, the large groups of um, Romanian and Brazilian people we see, in our team we actually have uh, two staff members, one who's um, a Portuguese speaking um, outreach worker who supports the uh, Brazilian women and a Romanian outreach worker that supports the Romanian women. So um, looking at the, uh, particularly the um, Romanian women that we see, that I think uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, contraception and abortion um, because they see abortion as a means of resolving um, an already existing unwanted pregnancy while contraception is regarded as a less accessible and more costly complicated way. And the historic reasons for higher abortion rates amongst Romanian women is explored in more depth in a podcast from the Journal of Family Planning and Reproductive Health. Again, links in the podcast text. One of Anka Doxy's clients, we'll call her Maria for the podcast, agreed to talk to us about her health needs as a sex worker. So she's saying that everything that we've done has been useful to her. So she thinks that everything that I mentioned, so I mentioned outreach, um, um, fast-track sexual health checkups, um, registering with a GP, getting access to antenatal, and uh, managing the relation with social services uh, as part of the actions that we did. I mentioned them all, and she thought that all of them have been very useful, but she could not rank one of them more uh, useful than other. Open Doors is very proud of the integrated service that they run and feel that this join-up approach is key to making the help they offer sex workers effective. Really important to involve other services, I think, because, because a GP has limited time, if they can work with other services that are working with that individual, then it's a much better care package. Kim Leverett made it clear that not everyone in a sex worker's life will have their health interests at heart. There can be controlling relationships um, that people are in and um, it's often not in the control of interest to support an individual into accessing um, health care um, because it's, it can be about a loss of money loss of earnings basically so if someone um, attends A&E or a GP service and is there for a number of hours and then uh, admitted into hospital or, or you know told to take some time out 
um, then there is a lack of earning. And I think that's something that we have to be um, mindful of, um, particularly uh, around um, suggesting to somebody that they shouldn't have sex for X amount of days and how that would be, whether they can do that. Um, and sometimes that can be uh, a reason why people don't return to see a clinician because they were given advice, told, they're told what not to do, and then they couldn't couldn't fulfil that, and so they feel they can't return because they uh, didn't manage to fulfil the advice. Okay, so perhaps it's about being less prescriptive with advice that you give and supporting people to continue working in a exactly. safe way. Yeah, so, so it would be um, it would be a normal uh, uh, conversation for anyone in our team if we were suggesting to someone um, that they it would be best if they don't have any sex for a couple of weeks while they're on antibiotics. If, for example, they're being treated for pelvic inflammatory disease, we would then say, you know, how would that be for them? Is that something they could do? Um, and this is just that we always suggest this to everybody um, and, and give them a, a, an option to explain what their situation is and how they can manage it best. Um, Kim, most of our listeners will be familiar with taking a sexual history from clients, but perhaps not in this context. Is there any advice you can give them when a sex, work, a sex worker approaches them? Yeah, so if the, if the individual has disclosed that they're sex working, then um, it's really makes it much easier if you can actually um, separate their sex work from their private life. So it's worth asking, when did they last have sex in their private life and who was that with and, and get that sexual history? Um, because you don't, want, you don't need to know when they last had sex at work. Um, so the other thing would be to ask uh, what what services they're offering at work. So are they offering um, vaginal sex with condoms, oral sex with and without condoms, anal sex? So some information about what services. And people need to understand why you're asking that question. So you're asking that question so you can take the correct swabs and check for infections. Um, and often people say that they didn't say to the GP about the sort of services they're offering at work because they felt embarrassed. So asking them about their, what services they offer at work and when they, if they're using condoms on a regular basis, when they last had a condom accident. So actually separating their private life from their work life. And I think that, that makes it so much easier. You've suddenly got a, a, um, a, a, a sort of plan in your mind. Otherwise you can get into a real mess by asking someone, when did you last have sex? And then they start telling you about all these all the customers they saw and actually unless they had a condom accident or there was an issue you don't actually need to know that another thing that um, people often say to us is that they uh, they feel embarrassed and uncomfortable if people ask them how many people do you have sex with so how many customers are you having sex with a day or a week and I think we have to ask well why are we are you know is there a reason why we're asking that question is it actually useful and if it's not useful don't ask it so perhaps reframe the questions as to exactly you know 
how many condom accidents have you had? Yeah, exactly. When did you last have a condom accident? And, and yeah, it, it, it might be useful how many um, customers you're having. If someone attends with pelvic pain, and it might be that you, you can you can rephrase the question. You know, you've, I, you said that you had a lot of pelvic pain. Are you busy, very busy at work? How many customers are you seeing? That's completely different. But um, it's, it's quite often that we ask questions for, for no reason and make people feel more uncomfortable um, and more judged un- unnecessarily. We'll leave the final word to Maria. So what she's telling me that one of the things that she, she would like um, doctors to bear in mind uh, or uh, to, to, to make is to treat them like normal people and not to make a difference between them and other uh, patients, something that she calls normal patients. You can find out more about Open Doors at their website, opendoors.nhs.uk. From there, you can find a great deal of advice for sex workers, which are also useful for healthcare professionals. It's also worth flagging up the National Ugly Mug Scheme, where sex workers can anonymously report crimes committed against them and receive alerts about potential attackers. Again, links are in the podcast page.